Hello, Southwest family. Mark Compton here with the Southwest Church of Christ, uh, our adult education program. And we have begun this study uh, that is uh, put together by a company called D6, or D6 is the uh, the study guide that we have. And we're in the first section of this, September, October, November, uh, and it is uh, called Beginnings. So we're in the sections on beginnings. We're in Lesson 9, which is Quenching Our Thirst. This is a full program that's put together uh, by the company here to uh, really integrate teaching, both from the adult level, uh, but predominantly it's from the children's level up. And so we currently at Southwest have families studying together, teens and young younger children with a magazine and all age-appropriate material. Uh, and this is the portion that we're doing for adults. And so yeah, it's tied to the to the study. Uh, but if you happen to be uh, an adult who isn't educating kids at home right now or isn't, uh, you know, doesn't have uh, grandchildren, don't have grandchildren or an opportunity to connect with folks, this is your opportunity to study uh, from the Bible. And here's some uh, short lessons uh, on the Bible that hopefully will bless your life. Uh, and grow and deepen your faith. And from today's section, which is in John 4, uh, the biggest piece, I think, is that we would take away that we need to share Jesus. We need to connect with people. The primary points from today's John 4 study is that all people matter to Jesus, uh, that our deepest needs are spiritual, and that it's our responsibility to share Jesus with others. But what are the important needs? If you were to do a study or a survey around important needs, would the needs of Europe, Americans versus Europeans be different? In other words, if we ask the question, what are the most important needs you have right now? And you looked at the compilation of those responses from Americans and a compilation of those responses from Europeans, do you think they'd be similar or different? What about that same questions asked to Oregonians or to Alaskans or Ohioans or Mainers? What about adults versus children? You think the needs that adults perceive are different than the needs that children perceive that they have? See, surveys do show that different answers exist between groups of people uh, and different answers uh, exist from location to location around the world. There are different needs in Portland, Oregon, than there might even be in Bend, Oregon. And so it's really interesting. You can dig into this and look at this on your own. But when it comes to Google and search data and you type in a certain phrase, that phrase will have picks uh, available to the query that are different for someone that's querying in Portland or someone that's querying in Portland, Maine versus Portland, Oregon, let's say. So there's a whole technology around the things that are most important to people where they are. But it's my bet, I'll see if you take that bet, but it's my bet that in God's eyes, he sees a lot of common needs between all of humanity. So I think we have a sin problem. I think God would say we are not as faithful as you need to be. We have a sin problem, and God is the one that fixes that for us. 
We have deep needs, physical needs, mental needs, social needs, spiritual needs, and they are unique to us, but they're also common across humanity and for humanity. And in all of these different needs, the sin problem and our unique needs that we have in our own lives, they're needs that only God can solve. See, only God can solve them for us, and he solves these through Christ and through Christ's death and the Spirit's fullness, the Spirit's indwelling, the Spirit moving in our lives fills our deepest needs. Now, last week we looked at John 3, and God met all of our now and eternal needs through Christ's death. You might remember Christ's message to Nicodemus and to us is that he needed to be born again. He needed to have a second birth, and we need to have that second birth. That's through baptism, and the second birth is spiritual. And now John proceeds to write in chapter 4 about a Samaritan woman, about her village, and about a government official. Now, as the passage opens, Jesus decides to leave Judea and go to Galilee. Now, he actually had choices on his route, and he chose to go through Samaria. His disciples must have raised their eyebrows because Orthodox Jews had a deep-seated hatred of the Samaritans. Yeah, in fact, hatred. Wiersbe writes, one of our commentators I like to reference, Wiersbe writes, the Samaritans were a mixed race, part Jew and part Gentile. That grew out of the Assyrian captivity of the 10 northern tribes in 727 BC. Rejected by the Jews because they could not prove their genealogy, the Samaritans established their own temple and religious services on Mount Gerizim. This only fanned the fires of prejudice. So intense was their dislike of the Samaritans that some of the Pharisees prayed that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. When his enemies wanted to call Jesus an insulting name, they called him a Samaritan. You might reference John 8:48 for that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that a spiritual group of people would hate another group of people so much that they would pray that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. Unbelievable, but yet believable. So Jesus knew he had important work to do there, so he ignored societal norms, he ignored geographic barriers, and he just once again went to where he knew he needed to do something. So let's start reading, if you might want to read along, in chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 5, and I'm going to go through verse 30. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir... 
You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You sport certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, I think there's a lot of uh, awesome and important points, important verses through here. I just want to highlight a few of these. In verse 9, it says, the woman was surprised. So Jesus talks with her, and she's surprised because she knows this is very out of the ordinary. This is bordering on wrong that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan and that a Jewish man would speak to a Jewish to a Samaritan woman. So she was surprised. And then we start seeing in this banter back and forth that Christ moves between physical requests and spiritual matters. You really have to keep up with him. I mean, his response to her was, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So first he asked her to please give her a, give him a drink. And then he moves to the physical, to the, from the physical to the spiritual water. And then in verse 11, she goes back to the physical water and says, you don't have a bucket or a rope. And it's very deep. So how are you going to do it when you don't have a rope or bucket? Where would you get the living water? And then Jesus goes back to the spiritual. And he bridges that in verse 13. Between the physical and spiritual, he says, anyone who drinks this water, the water in the well, will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then one of my favorite all-time responses in the Bible is verse 15. Please, sir, 
give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I love that. She's so excited. She just says, give me lots of this. And then Jesus goes right back, doesn't even pick up on that, and says, Let, you know, give me your husband. She gives a true answer back, and Christ always finds a way to dig deeper, to dig to the deepest emotional side that he can get to within the person he's talking to, to really get to the true heart of the matter. And he does get to the true heart of the matter because she's stunned. And in verse 19, another one of the great replies in the Bible, there's two of them here from the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, sir, you must be a prophet. He tells her that, yes, that's correct. You know, that's not your husband that you're living with. And in a matter of fact, you've had five prior husbands. And so she's stunned. And then I think she tries to distract him because she must be a prophet. And she goes into this philosophical discussion almost of, well, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? And she, she goes to this spiritual theoretical conversation around where, where worship should be and what's the right place. Is it Gerizim or is it, or why do the Jews think it's there and we think it's here? And why, why are there's all? And then Christ goes and says, there's a bigger thing coming where worship is going to be for all. One God, everywhere accessible. It's a transformational thought because they were thinking very geographic specific around where we worship, where someone could worship and the only places that would be acceptable to worship. Then in verse 24, I want to highlight this verse. I think it really impacts us today as well. It says, God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What about us? Do we complicate that? Sometimes we put a lot of extra burdens around worship, around where we're supposed to worship, about how we're supposed to worship, about the way we're supposed to worship. Worship needs to be in spirit and in truth. Worship is a spiritual, a deeply fulfilling spiritual response to God. I think the woman understand this right then and there as she talks with Christ a couple more times, and he says in verse 26, I'm the Messiah, the disciples come back, uh, and they're like really thrown, but the woman drops everything. And she runs back to the village. She runs back to the village, telling just the people that she knows, telling just a couple people that she sees, going to her house and telling her family. No, she tells everyone. She tells everyone what she heard it says come and see a man who told me everything i ever did could he possibly be the messiah verse 30 so the people came streaming from the village to see him once again we see here in the new testament in the gospels that the response to christ was not small it was never small it was big when people have their deepest needs filled, they run and they tell others. And then those people come out of curiosity because they also have deep needs to be filled. 
Now, the following verses is a great interaction between the disciples and the discussion uh, between Christ and the disciples on food and nourishment. And if you're as a parent this week or maybe for your own study, too, if you're just an adult and not doing teaching any kids this week, just make sure to share this neat section about the importance that Christ felt around doing the will of God. And a great uh, idea around the harvest. We're in the harvest time period. I mean, Halloween and October, it's known as the harvest uh, time of year. Uh, And so it's a great time to then hear Christ's words uh, about the harvest as well. So please do look at those verses and take a look at what Christ had to say to his disciples. Now, bottom line, the encounter resulted in the Samaritans believing They asked Christ to stay. Christ stayed for two more days and then more people believing. And then in verse 42, it said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. In other words, Christ's words met their deepest longings and needs. And then this this final sentence here in verse 42, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Such a powerful sentence there, that when we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world, we rush to Christ, we rush to God, we, we, we believe, we're baptized, we are filled with the Spirit. And then we're the ones running around and telling other people what God has done in our lives. As the week progresses, I encourage you to dig into this last part of the chapter and the government official's son. Jesus healed the sick son from a distance. Uh, Based on the pleadings and insistence and beliefs of the man, uh, he was healed. His son was healed. But the government official's belief wasn't full until he got home. And let me just read these last few verses here in 51 to 53. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. They replied yesterday afternoon, one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So Jesus meets the deepest needs of humanity. One-on-one, individualized, unique to each of us, and then individuals respond with belief. So one of the things we can take out of this uh, chapter I think there's three predominant things. First, Christ went out and encountered people in unexpected ways and surprising areas. The geography of Samaria as an example. Christ wasn't confined by lines or by practices of people. He went to where there was a need. Second, he sought to engage and connect deeply. He found ways, of course, he had great insight into people's lives, but he connected in a way that didn't distance people, didn't alienate people. 
but he went to the root of the matter and people responded to him because he engaged with them and connected deeply. And then third, people responded with belief. When people encounter Christ, they respond with belief as individuals, entire households, and entire towns in the case of this story of the woman from Samaria. Now, I didn't read through this particular verse because it was in that section I told you to take a look at uh, around the harvest. But I'd like to leave you with this and read it to you now, verse 38. Christ says to his disciples, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. May you find ways to plant some spiritual seeds this week in the people that you encounter. And may you perhaps harvest what someone else has planted. I pray that God will bless you and your family this week. It's a tough upcoming week, I think. But let's just focus on God. Let's focus on Christ. Let's be filled with the Spirit. And may you be blessed in your family and your loved ones as you seek to connect with people, to plant seeds in their lives, to plant the deep spiritual seeds in their lives, and to come across someone that's ready for those seeds to be harvested. That's my wish for you this week and through the month to come and the future days ahead of us. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Please dig into John 4. Great passage uh, from a great author, our Father God. Mark Compton here for Southwest Adult Series from D6.